Nowadays, there's stuff, and there's stuff you don't need to know. A podcast that talks about geek and nerd culture and brings you the things that you want to hear about. Just, just making it up as I, as I went along, really. That's just weak songwriting. You wrote a bad song, Petey. What's up, know-it-alls? You got stuff you don't need to know. I'm Jay. Let's get down to it. So it's October, and of course with October, that comes along the changing of seasons, uh, leaves changing color, pumpkin spice, Halloween. But of course, October is, as everybody knows, Wes Anderson month. No particular reason. I just decided to make October Wes Anderson month. So, you know, at least once a week, I'm going to be talking about a different Wes Anderson film. And of course, joining me today is my daughter, Cassie, because we're talking about one of her favorite films, uh, one of her favorite Wes Anderson films. Cassie, how you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm excited to talk about uh, this movie. So the movie, that, the first movie that I chose to do uh, is The Fantastic Mr. Fox. Now, Cassie, you actually read this book, I believe, in grade school, and you kind of said this is the first time that the movie is better than the book. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I saw the movie first, and I didn't know who Wes Anderson was because I was nine, so I thought, oh, this is how Roald Dahl wrote the book. So when I read the book, I was like, where's all the Wes Anderson-isms? And then I said, the book is horrible, I hate it, and then I gave it back to my teacher angrily. Oh boy. So yeah, I, I mean, I had never read the book, but you, you did kind of tell me about it. And I was like, yeah, this definitely doesn't stack up uh, against the film. But before we jump into Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, let me just ask you, what is it about, because you've seen a couple of Wes Anderson films, what is it about his style that kind of just draws you in? It's not, it, it, it feels, this is cliche, but it, it, it's, it, it feels like it's like a moving picture. Like, especially in his um, uh, stop motion movies, is that you really, you can really feel, you can really get a feeling for every little movement, every little frame he puts in. And I think that all coming together creates something just pleasing to look at. Okay, so you think that visually he's he's uh, a good filmmaker. Now he does write a lot of his movie, or he he does co-write, uh, co-author them, I should say. Now, while this is based on a book, I mean, he did co-write the screenplay i'm not sure with who so how do you feel like as a writer how do you feel that he is considering you read the book and you saw the movie so as a writer how do you see him i kind of see him as somebody he, he's well first off he's very episodic and i'm very biased towards episodic things because i like comic i prefer comics i prefer tv over movies so i really like his episodic structure of movie making and plus it's good for my short attention span and <laughs> Also, I feel that he's kind of, especially with Fantastic Mr. Fox, he's able to take something that's kind of dry, very, like, childish, and kind of turn it into something for everybody. Because I saw it when I was nine, but now watching it when I'm a lot older, I can kind of understand more of what's going on, um, just, like, with the family dynamics, mm -hmm. with everything going on with the characters. You can relate a lot more, but the movie is still for everyone. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I think it is for everyone. And I think it's almost sort of like the old, 
and I'm going back to like the 1940s, almost like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons where as a excuse me, as a kid growing up, I would watch them and I would be like, "Oh, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, they're funny." And a lot of the jokes would fly over my head, but I would be okay with that. And now that I'm older, it's like I'm in on the joke, and I guess, you know, maybe not so much with the jokes, but really, like you said, some more of the themes that's in it, you know, you appreciated a lot of it, you know, at nine and now college age, you appreciate it even more. So let's just jump right into it. Um, you know, do you remember, uh, I mean, I don't think we saw this one in the theaters at all. I, I don't no. think we did, no. Um, but was this like a film that, when you heard about it or saw a trailer, you were like, oh, I want to see this film? Or it was just like we popped it in the DVD player? I saw trailers for this movie. Surprisingly, they showed like trailers for this movie on like Nick and Cartoon Network, which I feel like didn't fit, but they did it. But And I really liked the visual style of it because, again, it was like that little like... What I really appreciate about it is that like every little piece of fur every little twitch of the nose on the animals you can really see and that style really kind of drew me in so i really wanted to see the movie knowing nothing about the book or about wes anderson at all yeah and i think one of the other things that i really like about it is is you know we have i mean i think the basic story is about mr fox um the fantastic mr fox his family you know how he goes from pretty much like a scoundrel i mean he's he's a professional chicken thief um, who, when he finds out that he's going to have a child, he's kind of forced into retirement and how he deals with that. And, I mean, that's really the story is, you know, I guess sort of his development and and how he fits into a family dynamic. Like, how do you view... Because there's little stories that kind of go on, but what's, for you, what's kind of the overall story of Fantastic Mr. Fox? Um, I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is about, in their own ways people who want to do great things but their mm. definition of greatness is very different like like Mr. Fox his definition of greatness is being like this notorious chicken thief who's like infamous among all the chicken farmers in the area and his son Ash kind of takes on after that with the like oh I want to be an athlete and he lies about getting the trophy for being an athlete but you can kind of tell that's really not what he wants to do he just wants to be himself mm-hmm. and Mrs. Fox, her definition of greatness is having a family, keeping that family safe and secure. And not really sure with Christopherson, but he's in there somewhere. <laughs> well, Christopherson is almost sort of like Cousin Christopherson. He's almost sort of like, because he comes in, he's very zen. He's very, you know, he, he definitely has a different look on life. And it's almost sort of like, it's it's almost sort of like a lot of his ideals and a lot of his personality almost kind of get absorbed a little bit into it's almost sort of like they learn from him even though they don't really get him mm-hmm. i guess it's like i think they they kind of learn some things from cousin christopherson but so basically this movie starts out uh we see mr fox he's waiting for mrs fox uh, she had just gone to the she, doctor. she just gone to the doctor and uh i mean she learns that she's pregnant but i mean clearly here she's not that thrilled about it or I don't know. What was your kind of take on it? Because when she meets Mr. Fox, she doesn't tell him right away that she's pregnant. Like he's like, sort of like, Oh, how, like, how did it go at the doctors? And she's like, no, everything's fine. And he's like, ah, you probably ate a piece of gristle or something like that. Like she does not tell him yet that she's pregnant. 
pretty much until they get into danger. Um, so sort of like that opening dynamic, because she said this is very episodic. So that opening chapter or introduction to Mr. Fox and basically how he goes from a notorious chicken thief to a family man. Like, how did she kind of take that whole opening scene with her not revealing that she's pregnant until they're really in danger? I think I think she... It, it's not that she didn't want to have the child. I mm-hmm. think she was just afraid of how Mr. Fox was going to react because she knows that he's going to stay with her because she knows that he loves her. But it's just... I feel like she was worried because Mr. Fox really loves being a chicken thief. And, of course, with a family, he would have to stop. So I think she was worried about taking that away from him and how she was going to go about asking him to do that. But once they were in danger, she said that she had to just tell him head on because she might not have been able to tell him otherwise. And this is really where we get to sort of see, you know, with the stop motion action, his his reaction when she tells him, I mean, again, they're caught in a, they're caught in a trap. They're, you know, really they know they're about to possibly be killed. And she tells him, like, I'm pregnant. And he just has a grimace on his face. And it's perfect, you know, with this stop motion photography, you know, the way it's done. So, you know, obviously, you know, she she tells him he has to retire. He becomes he becomes a newspaper man. Um, what do you think about his relationship with his son, Ash? Um, sort of how do you see the two of them? Because it looks like he's definitely taken by surprise by the news that mrs fox is pregnant do you think there's some resentment there what what do you see their initial relationship i think i think mr fox wanted a son who was going to be like him Mm -hmm. and when ash was different he didn't exactly know how to go about it it's not that he didn't love ash i could tell that he did love him but it's just he didn't exactly know how to go about with their relationship because they were so very different. And that's why when Mr. Fox goes, um, when he goes pretty much to like sacrifice himself so the other animals could escape the sewer and he tells Ash that like he always loved him and he was happy that he was there in his life, that's kind of like the moment where their relationship can open up. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I think you're right because, you know, when we see Ash, Ash is obviously, he's like a runt. He's very, very short. Um, he's voiced by Jason Schwartzman, who, you know, you've, you've seen him in a few movies and you're really digging Jason Schwartzman. Um, so let's talk about Ash a little bit. Like, what is your sort of take on Ash? You know, is he one of your favorite characters in this film? Do you kind of identify with Ash? Like, what's kind of your take on him? Um, I really, I think Ash really is my favorite character because it's just that thing again where he wants to be great like his father. And with the same definition of greatness as his father, but that's really not what he wants. I think he's more like his mother where he just wants a happy life, but because he looks up to his father so much, he feels that need to be notorious. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I can really resonate with that feeling because as somebody like who writes, who studies literature in college, it's kind of like, oh, well, like, do I want to be like this famous writer? But that's not what I want. I just want like a happy life, you know, Mm -hmm. just talking about books. And that's really, and it's kind of like that struggle. And I feel Ash kind of has that struggle too, where he wants to be happy being different, but his father is there pushing these feeling, these, um, this need to be notorious on him. But I, I don't really get that he pushes that on him because, you know, later on when Mr. Fox, you know, plans his big, you know, when he decides, like, I guess he kind of has a mid Fox life crisis because they talk about human years and fox years and all that uh when he kind of has a midlife crisis and he's like uh 
he moves into the neighborhood of Borgus Bunsen Beam with the most notorious farmers in the area, and he's going to pull off a big triple header. You know, he's really going to like kind of make his mark, like the big, the big criminal kind of going out on top. He doesn't think to include Ash at all, not because I feel not because he he's like oh, you know, he's not an athlete like me. It's sort of like he doesn't want that for him. So I, I don't feel that he really pushes that life on him. Yeah, I meant I kind of meant it that the that Ash was taking it from Mr. Fox and okay. all of his actions were inadvertently pushing it on him because by mm-hmm. excluding him, it's just making Ash want it more. Right. No, yeah. okay, all right. All right, no, that makes sense. And I think the thing about Ash is, you know, he's he's trying to be so much like he looks up to his father he's trying to be like his father so much and he really doesn't realize until the end you know the skills that make him different are you know those are his strengths at all and i think this is and this is like right around the time when christopherson comes in so christopherson is their cousin on um i think it's like with the whole whack back thing i think we learned that he's like the cousin on the mother's side i think yeah who lives farther away he's on the other side of the river on the other side of the river his father has double pneumonia i believe you know and ash makes a joke about that or a comment about that um yeah so christopherson comes in almost sort of like the son you know we're led to believe that he's sort of like the son that mr fox would have wanted to have but i don't think mr fox treats him that way like i think he's he's I don't want to say enamored, but I think he appreciates the fact that Christopherson is, again, I think he's Ash's age, but he's much taller than Ash. He's athletic. Um, he just kind of seems to have it all together. He's very zen where, you know, Ash is Ash. Like, you know, do you see it that this is the son that he wanted or is their relationship a little different? I think I think Mr. Fox is just excited kind of to have somebody to share his interests with mm-hmm. like it's it's not like not 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 that christopherson is interested in being a chicken thief but with the athleticism and the sports mr fox can kind of like share that with him in the way that he couldn't share it with ash so i think he's just excited but christopherson isn't taking ash's place no definitely not because i mean i i just think of the one scene where i think they're outside and ash and christopherson are diving into the big bucket yeah and ash of course just does like a cannonball christopherson does like a perfect dive and, you know, Mr. Fox is like, you know, he's really like, oh, well, well done, Christopherson. And then they have their little and I think this is a, a trademark in Wes Anderson films and something that I really like, like when Wes Anderson creates a film and he creates like a world, it's it's not I don't feel like it's scripted. I feel like it's very much like this is how a family would get along. Like there's little side conversations and little quips back and forth that kind of don't have anything to do with the story but totally enrich the story like do you do you find that in the films that you've seen yeah the the way i feel that he writes dialogue mm-hmm. is that it's very fantastical but it's very grounded at the same time mm. because the 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 language he uses and kind of the sentence structure that he uses nobody really talks like that exactly especially ash in this yeah. film and um but or was it but the what they are talking about is very real and the way that the dialogue is introduced is very real if that makes sense i i think so and i think one of the one of the best scenes of that is uh the scene in science class when christopherson mm-hmm. first comes to the school so what happens here is you know christopherson uh gets enrolled in in ash's school 
and uh, there's a girl fox and her name is Agnes. Agnes, thank you. So obviously, obviously, Ash has a crush on Agnes. They're lab partners, but Agnes, you know, she she sees Christopherson, and you know, boy meets girl sort of a thing, and. Um, you know, the, the conversations that go on, like first Christopherson has a, a lab partner. I think he's a beaver. He's a beaver. He's yeah. a beaver. And, you know, the conversation starts off with the beaver who we know is the bully going, why is your cousin such a wet sandwich? You know, which is like, what is that? Um, and then even like Christopherson, when Christopherson is getting annoyed that Agnes is paying attention to uh, Christopherson, uh, you know, she, he says to her, he said, well, you, you say, he's like, you know, you're supposed to be my lab partner. And she goes, I am. And he says, no, you're not. You're disloyal. Okay. So what grade school kid talks like that? But I think, so as a nine-year-old, when you saw that, because I, I remember, I mean, you, you laughed. Yeah. Because I just, I thought, I thought, I felt like, oh, haha, it's funny because nobody talks like that and Ash is weird. But then watching it now grown up is that like, I can relate to those feelings, you know, of like Ash, like. Maybe not, like, maybe he doesn't have, like, a romantic crush on her, but he at least wants to be her friend. Mm -hmm. And, um, but just feeling that, like, he's too weird, and in his attempt to try to dig his way out of that, he just digs the hole even deeper. Yeah, that's actually a really good observation. I was going to kind of think of it more as sort of, like... You know, he he does have this bigger vocabulary. He is different than everybody. So he just kind of goes with it. But yeah, I I, I think... Because I also think in another movie that we're going to talk about, Rushmore, Mm. Jason Schwartzman, you know, who plays the lead role there... He's sort similar. of it is very similar where he's supposed to be this 14 or 15 year old high school kid who talks like an adult and doesn't realize that he's just digging himself a deeper hole. He thinks I'm being so mature when it's really like, nah, buddy, you're <laughs> you're not really pitching your case here. Um, so pretty much what happens in this film, like the overall story is, is, you know, Mr. Fox decides that he's going to have one last hurrah. He's going to rob. Uh, he's going to steal chickens from the three farmers in the er- uh, area, Borgus, Bunsen, Bean. Bogus. Bogus, Bunsen, Bean. Sorry. And um, the farmer, Bean, uh, I, I just, I'll call him Bean, uh, is voiced by Michael Gambon, of course, who was the second Dumbledore. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and again, even like that character is just so unique because it's like, okay, he's supposed to be the big villain here, but... It's just he's so distinct. Like, what was your kind of take on on Bean? <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of felt that he that when when I watched it when I was nine, I kind of felt like, oh, he's like a cartoony villain because he hates this fox for like no reason. But then watching it now, it's that it's not it's not that I can like relate to Bean. You can't relate to like every character <laughs> in the movie. But it's just I don't know. I feel like he's a lot more than that. I feel like. I feel like you can tell that he very much feels like he's washed up or he's having a similar midlife crisis as Mr. Fox. Mm. And he's kind of like how Mr. Fox is putting everything he has into this heist. Bean is putting everything he has into killing Mr. Fox. And the difference is that Mr. Fox learns something in the end and Bean does not. And yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's really you know made clear when, I mean, he really takes it to the end where they actually kind of like mobilize the army to yeah, come after him pretty much i mean they 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 get all the farmers you know all the farm hands from all three farms to come together and they pretty much put a blockade around 
where all the animals sort of live. So they're forced underground and there's like a television report at it. And I think the television reporter actually says at one point, he's sort of like, you know, you know, this is a lot of work to get a Fox. I mean, I think most people would have given up by now. And um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how that, how that goes with him. And no, you're absolutely right. You, You know, Mr. Fox learns something like he learns that, you know, pretty much a family, you know, taking care of his family and loving his family is what's really important. And, you know, yeah, being too, like, and I guess, yeah, they both kind of face like this, this sort of midlife crisis. Another character that kind of does that as well is um, Rat, who is the, you know, obviously he was an antagonist of Mr. Fox all throughout. Like they have a history together and it's sort of like, you know, he's kind of trying to have a last hurrah too. Like I got the sense that throughout their relationship, Mr. Fox always one-upped Rat, and Rat was sort of like, now that he's the security, head of security for, for Bean's farm, it's like, I'm gonna I'm finally going to get him. Like, what was your kind of take on that? Yeah, I kind of feel like Rat and Mr. Fox both, they both want the same thing. They both want to be notorious. Mm-hmm. But Mr. Fox kind of, I think Rat was somewhat jealous when Mr. Fox was able to settle down, not knowing that Mr. Fox didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Because Rat does mention Mr. F- the Mrs. Fox, Felicity. He does mention Felicity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is right. That is her name, yes. <laughs> he does mention Mrs. Fox, and I kind of took that as him wanting something like that. But because he hates Mr. Fox, he insults her. Um, and I kind of feel that, like, he, he kind of feels like he washed out, too. Because uh, yeah. he kind of sold out. He became a security guard instead of a thief. And that's why, in the end, he says, I just did it for the cider. That's right. He just did it for the cider. And <laughs> they give him sewer water. Yeah. But he was passing away. But, yeah. So, I mean, of the few Wes Anderson films that you, that you have seen so far, like, where does this one kind of rank for you? Um, I th- I'm a little biased because this is my first... This was my first Wes Anderson film. It's one. It's probably my second favorite movie. So yeah, it's it's my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I think this is definitely one of my Wes Anderson favorite Wes Anderson films. Uh, my most favorite one is one that Cassie's in the middle of watching. That I guess it's so intense for her. She's got to watch it in stages because like Jason Schwartzman, it's just like he, he he's making friends, but then he has he has like that like fatal flaw, and you're just like, oh, no, I can't watch this. <laughs> So eventually, when Cassie gets done watching Rushmore, Rushmore is definitely a film that we're going to be talking about probably later in the month. But uh, pretty interesting. So I went online um, because I think the thing with Wes Anderson is is he doesn't have a style. You know, you could put a lot of filmmakers in different styles, and Wes Anderson is pretty much he pretty much has been given a style unto himself. It's like it is a Wes Anderson style, which. To my knowledge, I don't think anybody has either tried to copy or could even come close. Like, it's it's his, and that's that. Um, so, when you look at a Wes Anderson film, I know you've seen a couple of them. You look at a Wes Anderson film, and you compare it to some other films or filmmakers that you probably appreciate. You know, what is it about, you know, what is it about these films that really kind of make them special, I guess? Um, I think the visual style, definitely. I'm not um, a media arts major, so I can't tell you much about the visual style, as you could probably tell. <laughs> but um, definitely for me, it's 
see because because the stories are very simple. Yes, and I think I can appreciate that because I feel that like plot for me is lower down on my list of priorities. I know Aristotle would disagree, but um, it's for me it's really the characters and the dialogue, and I think Wes Anderson he's the strongest I've really seen it doing it because the characters want unique and real things and the dialogue like I said is very grounded and fantastical and that and that combination of both of those things being unique and grounded it creates something very different that you don't see out there yeah and I and I think it's it's not I don't find him like like oh I'm just going to be different like I'm going to be different for different sake it's sort of like this is how he wants to tell a story and and I feel, you know, in the films that I have seen by him and, you know, the ones that we're going to talk about, it's, you know, I think people people that really aren't fans of the style will look at it and say, wow, this is really weird. Where to me, I find him, I find him pretty normal. Like maybe, I don't want to say a satirical look at real life, but it's sort of like a little bit of a different view, like almost like Ash, you know, like they're just different, but... I find them to be like really nice, simple looks at just real life because he doesn't really do anything crazy or over the top. But I guess people that don't like the style will see it that way. Yeah, um, especially with um, Isle of Dogs. I'll just mention it really quickly. Mm -hmm. Isle of Dogs, I would say, is one of his more fantastical movies. And um, I do have some problems with Isle of Dogs, but we'll set that aside for now. But um, it is one of his more fantastical movies, but I still feel it has that grounded nature because at the heart of it is just a boy looking for his dog, and it's just a rela- and the movie's just about friendship, pretty much. But just like a lot of the other films, you know, it's just really just that simple premise. So, you know, a boy looking for his dog, Rushmore. You know, it's a boy just just trying to fit in. Uh, you know, Fantastic Mr. Fox. You know, it's a few different characters really discovering just really learning more about themselves but it's really the world that he builds around it and it's definitely i mean i definitely think you know it's it's all the dialogue it's i mean i think you know like you said creating the characters i mean there's a character in this film that you barely see he's sort of like he's he's franklin bean's right hand man (laughs) pd yeah you know you barely see the guy but i feel like we know so much about pd um just just in general i mean and i think that's what's like really i just love that it's it's you know, and especially in a film like this, that's stop motion. I guess it's stop motion animation. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it could just PD could just be some rando in the background, but he almost becomes like a fully fleshed out character. Yeah, because I think part of it is part of it is also in the way PD is animated. Mm-hmm. I feel his style, his limbs are very. I don't know how to describe it. I'm not animated, but they're very like woohoo. So his limbs are very distinct. His movements are very sharp, more sharp than the rest of the cast, I would say. Mm-hmm. But also, it's just how he's treated by Mr. Bean. That's really where the fle- like the, the crux of his character comes in. Because there's a part during a montage, Petey's singing a song about Mr. Fox, and then Bean comes in and like he throws a, cigar- a lit cigarette at him, and he goes, you wrote a bad song, Petey. And it's just, you could tell that Petey, like... He loves the people he works with, just not mm-hmm. the people he wor- just not the person he works for. 
That's very true. And like you said, you know, he's in one or two scenes. He doesn't really have much dialogue. I think he only really sings the song. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, I think, yeah, when when, when Franklin Bean asks him, he's like, a song. Like, that's it. But we know so much about him. One thing I do want to touch on before we kind of hit this last point here is when we were watching this, you had kind of said to me, and we've watched this so many times, so this is the last time that we watched it. You kind of talked about voice acting. And, you know, there's some big name actors in this and there's some. And when we kind of talk about tropes of a Wes Anderson film, we'll get in there. There's a lot of people here that constantly work with Wes Anderson. But I mean, George Clooney is Mr. Fox. Meryl Streep is Mrs. Fox. I mean, there's some big names in this. But you were kind of saying how just because you're a great actor doesn't necessarily mean you're a great voice actor. So I'd really like you to kind of talk about that. Like, what's the difference between an actor and a voice actor? Um... I think a voice actor, again, it's just it's just a different skill set. Mm-hmm. I feel that a voice actor is really used to acting in the booth, acting alone, while an uh, I don't want to say an actor actor, but like um, a, a, an in in an in person actor. Okay, would is used to working off the energy of others, filming filming a take all at once. Whereas a voice actor could be like, all right, we're doing lines 1 through 12 and then we're going to do 23 through 30 and then back to do 13 through 18. So th- this that I feel really stands out when Mr. Fox and Mrs. Fox are in um they're they're in the sewer. Mm-hmm. Mr. Fox is about to go up and they're having their last little talk where Mrs. Fox is like I love you but I sh- I shouldn't have I shouldn't have put myself in this situation. And then um uh, Meryl Streep um, I forget what the dialogue exactly is but she's talking 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 she's angry and then all of a sudden the di- she, she, she shifts like on a dime to crying and it feels very fake and it feels very much that you know she's recording this in a booth the illusion is kind of broken okay because I feel she couldn't she, she would have needed because I feel she would have needed everybody there with her okay she would have needed to see George Clooney to kind of get her to a point where she could transition but just reading the lines i felt like she was just like oh it's this this is now it has to be said gotcha okay so it's not it's not as organic yeah it's definitely not as organic so i i just feel nothing against meryl streep but it's just i feel that she was one of the ones who had a harder time making the transition yeah, and I mean, you know, you point to Jason Schwartzman, who who really is probably one of the better voice actors in this film. So how how you know in his performance, what kind of sold it for you with him as a voice actor? Because he has a very distinct voice, and in all the films that we see of him, you're you're sort of like, oh my god, it's Ash. <laughs> because I feel that Jason Schwartzman, when he delivers his lines in this in this movie, he kind of. He kind of has an idea. He, he, I think, I feel like he's kind of mastered the way he's recording it. So he kind of, he kind of has little arcs with. He speaks in bursts. Okay. And I feel that that just gives him a head up over Meryl Streep, who's trying to build, 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 but can't exactly because of all the times they'd have a resay a line or go back to do this line and they edit it. Whereas Ash kind of knows. I mean, Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman kind of knows what's going on, and he speaks in bursts, and I feel that eases the transition. All righty. So that'll kind of lead us into, I, I really wanted to see kind of what makes a Wes Anderson film. So I found on nofilmschool.com, they sort of had a list of stylistic trademarks uh, of, of a Wes Anderson film. 
Uh, number one, micro worlds uh, slash shoebox sets. I mean, that definitely happens here. Yeah, it's just it's pretty much just the farm, the farms and the tree and the underground, and those are really the only sets we have. Yeah, and you know, I think one of his other sort of tropes, and and I think th- they kind of mention it down here in a little bit of a different way. Um, he always kind of has those scenes where. You know, there's a setting, you know, maybe it's a dormitory or an office building, and he'll always kind of pull out Mm. and sort of have, like, and I don't know, like, what that view would be called, but it's almost sort of like, if it's like an office building, it's almost like if somebody sliced the office building, you know, lengthwise, and we could see everything going on at once. Like, that's kind of like a trademark of his, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that's called, though. Uh, Okay, next one. Childlike adults, adult-like children. Yeah, I would say so, especially with Christofferson and... Um, Ash. Ash. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Characters that fall apart. I think we definitely talked about that. I think yeah. a lot of characters fall apart in this film. Uh, dysfunctional families. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, escapism. So, I mean, I, I find his films to be totally escapist. You could really get lost in this world. I, I agree, especially with the way he... Especially with whoever designs his sets, whoever scouts his sets... I feel does a very good job at making them feel very homey, mm-hmm. especially in Rushmore because I hated high school. But looking at um, what's the academy he went to, Rushmore Academy. Rushmore Academy. Oh my god! <laughs> but like, especially looking at Rushmore Academy, I kind of felt like, oh, this is a place that I'd like to be in. And even in the public high school he goes to, I'm like, oh, this feels very homey, even though I hated high school. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we, we mentioned this, a recurring cast. So, you know, people that typically work with him that are in this film, Bill Murray, uh, Owen Wilson, Willem Dafoe, and Jason Schwartzman. Uh, you'll find these guys plus some others are, I think Bill Murray, except for Bottle Rocket, has been in one way or another, has been in a Wes Anderson film. Um, here's the big one that I think a lot of people know, an Art Nouveau color palette. So this one definitely had a very distinct color palette to it. I would say it's like autumn, like a lot of yellows, browns, some orange, orange, absolutely. Um, Distinctive camera language. I think we do see that here. I mean, some of his live action movies, we definitely see, uh, we were watching Rushmore, you talked about just not the random, like the expert use of quick cuts that that he does. Yeah. Uh, slow motion for bookending shots or important moments. Uh, no real slow motion in this though. Yeah. But I feel, but I feel with the stop motion animation, I, I the big scene I think of is when they're all trapped and then Ash kind of realizes the only way to escape is if he kind of reenacts Whack Bat and he goes through the whole thing. So while it's not in slow motion, it's a pretty distinctive shot. Sixties and seventies music. Oh, yep. Oh. Absolutely. Uh, I, I almost want to say 60s and 70s music that you're probably not familiar with, but you're going to go out and, and look for when the oh, movie's done. I listen, I listen to Let Her Dance like, all the time. Like, oh my God, that's, that's a song at the end of the movie. Song at the yeah. end of the movie, yep. Uh, a production within a production. Um, you, could, you could say that that is um, the, the newscast that goes on throughout. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, something else that kind of goes on throughout is the trains. Like and and, and that's trains something. In all his movies. Yeah, the, the, he does have, and he has trains in this one where you know you kind of see where Mister Fox lives. There's sort of a divide uh, between him and the three farmers, and there's a train that constantly runs by. Yeah. So when they do those watchouts, and then in Ash's bedroom, he has the train set, the mini train set. Um, Wes uh, Wes Anderson as a co-writer, he was a co-writer on this. 
Futura font, which is the font that he uses pretty much in the credits and um, transitions between scenes. Oh, when he has a cousin Christopherson arrives. and Which would lead to like a chapter-like structure, which definitely happens in this film. Which you said is something you enjoy because it kind of helps keep your attention more. Yeah. And especially if... Because sometimes watching movies, I just have to stop. I can't watch them all the way through. Mm -hmm. And it makes it easier to stop and pick it up again. Whereas something like, I don't know, like Star Wars, you got to watch that all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> um, abrupt violence most definitely happens in this yes. film. And last but not least, binoculars. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's looking through binoculars. <laughs> and then th- the article kind of goes on to say, um, you know, that, you know, he definitely has a distinct style. Um, but here it says, perhaps the most important aspect of his filmmaking, which is something that can't be claimed by any one filmmaker is his ability to capture humanity in the artifice of his constructed world. And, and granted you could say that, you know, well, these are animals, they're wild animals, but I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, from PD, you know, the assistant, uh, you know, Badger, the lawyer, I mean, I think, I think the humanity and the character of all of these characters are fully, they're fully developed and, and captured. Even Kylie. Absolutely. Even Kylie. <laughs> Even Kyle, <laughs> just give me a signal so I know you're listening. <laughs> Alrighty, well, we definitely had a lot of fun talking about Fantastic Mr. Fox. And like I said, as the month goes on, perhaps once a week, I'll be talking about a different Wes Anderson film. Uh, as you kind of probably guessed, Rushmore will be coming up, uh, as well as Isle of Dogs. And, you know, we'll see what uh, what else we are going to talk about. I want to thank Cassie for joining me. And guys, do me a favor. Head on over to Instagram. Stuff you don't need to know is there. I post pictures about the content that I talk about. Know it all. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you guys later. So-